Chapter 4 A Solemn Obligation The tithe is sacred, reserved by God for Himself. It is to be brought into His treasury to be used to sustain the gospel laborers in their work. For a long time the Lord has been robbed because there are those who do not realize that the tithe is God's reserved portion. Some have been dissatisfied and have said, I will not longer pay my tithe, for I have no confidence in the way things are managed at the heart of the work. But will you rob God because you think the management of the work is not right? Make your complaint, plainly and openly, in the right spirit to the proper ones. Send in your petitions for things to be adjusted and set in order, but do not withdraw from the work of God and prove unfaithful because others are not doing right. Read carefully the third chapter of Malachi and see what God says about the tithe. If our churches will take their stand upon the Lord's word and be faithful in paying their tithe into his treasury, more laborers will be encouraged to take up ministerial work. More men would give themselves to the ministry were they not told of the depleted treasury. There should be an abundant supply in the Lord's treasury, and there would be if selfish hearts and hands had not withheld the tithes or made use of them to support other lines of work. God's reserved resources are to be used in no such haphazard way. The tithe is the Lord's, and those who meddle with it will be punished with the loss of their heavenly treasure unless they repent. Let the work no longer be hedged up because the tithe has been diverted into various channels other than the one to which the Lord has said it should go. Provision is to be made for these other lines of work. They are to be sustained, but not from the tithe. God has not changed. The tithe is still to be used for the support of the ministry. The opening of new fields requires more ministerial efficiency than we have now, and there must be means in the treasury. Those who go forth as ministers have a solemn responsibility devolving upon them which is strangely neglected. Some enjoy preaching, and they do not give personal labor to the churches. There is great need of instruction concerning the obligations and duties to God, especially in regard to paying an honest tithe. Our ministers would feel sadly aggrieved if they were not promptly paid for their labor. But will they consider that there must be meat in the treasure house of God wherewith to sustain the laborers? If they fail to do their whole duty in educating the people to be faithful in paying to God his own there will be a shortage of means in the treasury to carry forward the Lord's work. The overseer of the flock of God should faithfully discharge his duty. If he takes the position that because this is not pleasant to him, he will leave it for someone else to do, he is not a faithful worker. Let him read in Malachi the words of the Lord charging the people with robbery toward God in withholding their tithes. The mighty God declares, Ye are cursed with a curse, Malachi 3.9. When the one who ministers in word and doctrine sees the people pursuing a course that will bring this curse upon them, how can he neglect his duty to give them instruction and warning? Every church member should be taught to be faithful in paying an honest tithe. 
Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Verse 10. I pray that my brethren may realize that the third angel's message means much to us, and that the observance of the true Sabbath is to be the sign that distinguishes those who serve God from those who serve Him not. Let those who have become sleepy and indifferent awake. We are called to be holy, and we should carefully avoid giving the impression that it is of little consequence whether or not we retain the peculiar features of our faith. Upon us rests the golden obligation of taking a more decided stand for truth and righteousness than we have taken in the past. The line of demarcation between those who keep the commandments of God and those who do not is to be revealed with unmistakable clearness. We are conscientiously to honor God, diligently using every means of keeping in covenant relation with Him that we may receive His blessings, the blessings so essential for a people who are to be so severely tried to give the impression that our faith, our religion, is not a dominating power in our lives, is greatly to dishonor God. Thus we turn from His commandments, which are our life, denying that He is our God and we are His people. The Lord thy God, He is God the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Deuteronomy 7, 9 and 10. Where shall we be before the thousand generations mentioned in this scripture are ended? Our fate will have been decided for eternity. Either we shall have been pronounced worthy of a home in the everlasting kingdom of God, or we shall have received sentence of eternal death. Those who have been true and faithful to their covenant with God, those who, remembering Calvary, have stood firmly on the side of truth, ever striving to honor God, will hear the commendation, Well done, good and faithful servant. But those who have given God only half-hearted service, allowing their lives to be conformed to the ways and practices of the world, will hear the sad words, Depart from me, I know you not. Chapter 5 Beneficence Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. See Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered unto himself. See Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. The liberal deviseth liberal things, and by liberal things shall he stand. See Isaiah 32, 8. Divine wisdom has appointed, in the plan of salvation, the law of action and reaction, 
making the work of beneficence in all its branches twice blessed. He who gives to the needy blesses others and is blessed himself in a still greater degree. Chapter 6 The Glory of the Gospel That man might not lose the blessed results of benevolence, our Redeemer formed the plan of enlisting him as his co-worker. God could have reached his object in saving sinners without the aid of man, but he knew that man could not be happy without acting a part in the great work. By a chain of circumstances which would call forth his charities, he bestows upon man the best means of cultivating benevolence and keeps him habitually giving to help the poor and to advance his cause. By its necessities, a ruined world is drawing forth from us talents of means and of influence to present to men and women the truth of which they are in perishing need. And as we heed these calls by labor and by acts of benevolence, we are assimilated to the image of him who for our sakes became poor. In bestowing, we bless others, and thus accumulate true riches. It is the glory of the gospel that it is founded upon the principle of restoring in the fallen race the divine image by a constant manifestation of benevolence. This work began in the heavenly courts. There God gave to human beings an unmistakable evidence of the love with which he regarded them. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See John 3:16. The gift of Christ reveals the Father's heart. It testifies that having undertaken our redemption, he will spare nothing, however dear, which is necessary to the completion of his work. The spirit of liberality is the spirit of heaven. Christ's self-sacrificing love is revealed upon the cross. That man might be saved, he gave all that he had, and then gave himself. The cross of Christ appeals to the benevolence of every follower of the blessed Savior. The principle there illustrated is to give, give. This, carried out in actual benevolence and good works, is the true fruit of the Christian life. The principle of worldlings is to get, get, and thus they expect to secure happiness, but carried out in all its bearings, the fruit is misery and death. The light of the gospel shining from the cross of Christ rebukes selfishness and encourages liberality and benevolence. It should not be a lamented fact that there are increasing calls to give. God in His providence is calling His people out from their limited sphere of action to enter upon greater enterprises. Unlimited effort is demanded at this time when moral darkness is covering the world. Many of God's people are in danger of being ensnared by worldliness and covetousness. They should understand that it is His mercy that multiplies the demands for their means. Objects that call benevolence into action must be placed before them, or they cannot pattern after the character of the great exemplar. Chapter 7 The Blessings of Stewardship In commissioning his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, 
Christ assigned to men the work of extending the knowledge of his grace. But while some go forth to preach, he calls upon others to answer his claims upon them for offerings with which to support his cause in the earth. He has placed means in the hands of men that his divine gifts may flow through human channels in doing the work appointed us in saving our fellow men. This is one of God's ways of exalting man. It is just the work that man needs, for it will stir the deepest sympathies of his heart and call into exercise the highest capabilities of the mind. Every good thing of earth was placed here by the bountiful hand of God as an expression of his love to man. The poor are his, and the cause of religion is his. The gold and silver are the Lord's, and he could rain them from heaven if he chose, but instead of this, he has made man his steward, entrusting him with means not to be hoarded, but to be used in benefiting others. He thus makes man the medium through which to distribute his blessings on earth. God planned the system of beneficence in order that man might become like his creator, benevolent and unselfish in character, and finally be a partaker with Christ of the eternal glorious reward. Chapter 8 Meeting Around the Cross The love expressed on Calvary should be revived, strengthened, and diffused among our churches. Shall we not do all we can to give power to the principles with which Christ brought to this world? Shall we not strive to establish and give efficiency to the benevolent enterprises which are now called for without delay? As you stand before the cross and see the Prince of Heaven dying for you, can you seal your heart saying, No, I have nothing to give? Christ's believing people are to perpetuate His love. This love is to draw them together around the cross, it is to divest them of all selfishness and bind them to God and to one another. Meet around the cross of Calvary in self-sacrifice and self-denial. God will bless you as you do your best, as you approach the throne of grace, as you find yourself bound to this throne by the golden chain let down from heaven to earth to draw men from the pit of sin, your heart will go out in love for your brethren and sisters who are without God and without hope in the world. Chapter 9 The Spirit of Independence This manuscript was read before the delegates at the General Conference in Washington, D.C., May 30, 1909. Before leaving Australia and since coming to this country, I have been instructed that there is a great work to be done in America. Those who were in the work at the beginning are passing away. Only a few of the pioneers of the cause now remain among us. Many of the heavy burdens formerly borne by men of long experience are now falling upon younger men. This transfer of responsibilities to laborers whose experience is more or less limited is attended with some dangers against which we need to guard. The world is filled with strife for the supremacy, the spirit of pulling away from fellow laborers, the spirit of disorganization is in the very air we breathe. By some, all efforts to establish order are regarded as dangerous, 
as a restriction of personal liberty and hence to be feared as popery. These deceived souls regarded a virtue to boast of their freedom to think and act independently. They declare that they will not take any man say so, that they are amenable to no man. I have been instructed that it is Satan's special effort to lead men to feel that God is pleased to have them choose their own course independent of the counsel of their brethren. Herein lies a grave danger to the prosperity of our work. We must move discreetly, sensibly, in harmony with the judgment of God-fearing counselors, for in this course alone lies our safety and strength. Otherwise, God cannot work with us and by us and for us. Oh, how Satan would rejoice if he could succeed in his efforts to get in among this people and disorganize the work at a time when thorough organization is essential and will be the greatest power to keep out spurious uprisings and to refute claims not endorsed by the word of God. We want to hold the lines evenly, that there shall be no breaking down of the system of organization and order that has been built up by wise, careful labor. License must not be given to disorderly elements that desire to control the work at this time. Some have advanced the thought that, as we near the close of time, every child of God will act independently of any religious organization. But I have been instructed by the Lord that in this work there is no such thing as every man's being independent. The stars of heaven are under all law, each influencing the other to do the will of God, yielding their common obedience to the law that controls their action. And in order that the Lord's work may advance healthfully and solidly, His people must draw together. The spasmodic, fitful movements of some who claim to be Christians are well represented by the work of strong but untrained horses. When one pulls forward, another pulls back. And at the voice of their master, one plunges ahead and the other stands immovable. If men will not move in concert in the great and grand work for this time, there will be confusion. It is not a good sign when men refuse to unite with their brethren and prefer to act alone. Let laborers take into their confidence the brethren who are free to point out every departure from right principles. If men were the yoke of Christ, they cannot pull apart. They will draw with Christ. Some workers pull with all the power that God has given them, but they have not yet learned that they should not pull alone. Instead of isolating themselves, let them draw in harmony with their fellow laborers. Unless they do this, their activity will work at the wrong time and in the wrong way. They will often work counter to that which God would have done, and thus their work is worse than wasted.